Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, episode 142. We're going to call this the Cocodona recap. Sorry we missed last week, but it was a little bit hard to fit in um, as the race was ending and then after that as Don was recovering. So uh, if you don't all know, the Cocodona 250 is this 250-mile ultramarathon. Starts in Black Canyon City, ends up in Flagstaff, meanders its way north in Arizona through all of the different beautiful parts of Arizona. I was part of the crew pacing Don along the way. We're going to find out what is it like to do a 250-mile race, the highs, the lows, the beautiful part, and then recovery too and see how Don's feeling. So Don, it's a a week ago you were finished. Does it feel like a week ago, a year ago? How are you feeling? We'll get back to the start of this in a second. Yeah, I, I feel really good. I'm getting back to workouts today. Um, body, body recovered way faster than I expected to, which, you know, I think is a, is a testament to the training that I did and the, uh, the workouts that I put into preparing for this race. So yeah, I, I feel really good. I, I had a couple of nights after the race that there was still some swelling in my feet that I had some discomfort, but you know, all things considered, I was thrilled with how quickly my body bounced back. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think having been through one of these myself, there is this interesting dynamic of what does exhaustion mean versus sort of fatigue. And you were probably playing more with exhaustion than fatigue because you're a strong guy, but none of us can avoid exhaustion because that's actually a completely different part of our system. But we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so let's see, you know, so it starts, you know, in earnest, this this race. Why don't we just talk about, you know, that that starting day? How did you feel? What was it like? You know, that first, what, 71 miles you go by yourself and then yep. changes. Yeah, you just get to see the crew at one spot. So the first 37 miles is really hard. I, I would say it's the toughest 50k stretch in the entire race is that that first 37 miles there's there's just the middle really it's just the middle 25-ish miles is just so rocky exposed and technical and up and down it's like you know 10 or 12,000 feet of climbing and it's hot hottest part of the course hardest part of the day so you're battling a lot of elements all while knowing you have, you know, 220 miles left to go. So you have to, there's just a lot going on in your brain and there's no point of ever feeling overextended. So I actually felt really controlled. I was lucky that, that one of my other pacers and crew members, Shad and I went out three weeks before the race and we did that first 37 mile section. So I had a lot of course knowledge and I was aware of what that was going to feel like on my body. And um, I was able to take it nice and easy because of that. So that really paid off um, just with with the knowledge of the course and, and how I felt on on race day. And then, so coming into to Crown King, I felt really good. Got to see the crew, which is always a, a really nice pick-me-up is seeing your crew for the first time. And then heading out, I I think I kind of, I don't want to say I, 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 I relaxed a little bit on stuff, but I, I definitely didn't take the next section as seriously as I should have, because it was still super hot. And I actually let myself get overheated a little bit in that the next section. And I, I, I had to slow down quite a bit 
because I was just so hot and not feeling great. Um, you know, you're, you're like, I came into crown King like two, two fifteen, two thirty, something like that. So I left there heat of the day, three o'clock. And I got real hot, real fast. So I had to slow down. I remember calling my crew. I called, called my wife and, and Chad and, and on speakerphone, just as like, guys, I, I just started feeling overheated. I wanted to just talk through this real quick. Um, I know I'm hot, I'm slowing down, but just, you know, letting you know what's up. So, uh, that was a good call. Um, just to, to talk through a strategy of, of overheating. Um, there wasn't really a lot of water on the course at that point, so I couldn't just find anything to cool off. So I just sat in some shade for a little bit, got my heart rate back down and then still felt great coming into, um, into 71 where we did get to see that pacer for the first time, which is always such a, such a huge relief knowing that, okay, my solo journey is done. And some of the mental battles that I've been facing are now on somebody else's shoulders and I can just shut up and do what I do best and run. So yeah, that first 71 miles is, is really hard. It's hot. It's exposed. It's rocky. Um, I came, I came into to 71, I think, I don't know, midnight ish, something like that. Um, my, you know, a four day race, you kind of lose minor details such as time. I just know it was dark. <laughs> That's about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a good pick me up to, to get a run with your pacer for the first time there. So for listeners who haven't done an ultra marathon, um, the longer the distance, uh, the higher the probability that someone's going to have a pacer with them. And, you know, there are some who don't use a pacer. There are some of different opinions about it, but I think Don, you and I both know that this is, a both for safety as much as it is for companionship. Uh, and it really is a great, there's other dimensions that are fabulous too. It's like pacers get out to go on courses and experience them with runners. And uh, and so I actually think it's a, it's a really good strategy that, you know, at some point in a very long race, you're allowed to get someone to come out with you. And, yeah. you know, when you're in the middle of the, the desert or the woods at night, uh, by yourself, it's it's crazy, difficult, and this is helps with safety and and yeah, totally. something to look forward to. And so it was cool that you got that to happen at mile seventy one. Yeah, and 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 it's also just little things that I tend the longer the race, I tend to forget little things like eating on time and uh, yep. taking in fluids. And so sometimes it's nice just to have somebody say like, hey, have you eaten lately? Um, I know I got into a little bit of deficit when I was running with Shad and, um, he would just literally hold out. He would like, give me your, give me your packet of scratch chews. And he would just hold them out and shove them in my mouth because yes. I was depleted and I was like, not very conversational. Only he knew I was behind. So, um, it's easier to have somebody else. that's a little fresher. Be like, Holy crap. You're not talking very much. You're slowing down. When was the last time we got calories? Oh, and so having that responsibility taken away from, from you, have you been up for two or three days? It's gosh, that, that more than most things for me is a, is a saving grace. Cause I, when I get behind on calories, I usually just get crabby and quiet and I don't always realize it's the calories that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. And I, I won't just force feed my calories into my body. But if somebody's there just shoving, literally I would just be walking and he would stand with his arm held out and I would have to like walk into the Gucci's and there was just like in my mouth. It was so funny, uh, but it worked. Yeah, no, it's good. You know, the, the terrain on this course is interesting because 
you know, it starts in this Black Canyon city, which is, you know, what they call it, the middle of nowhere kind of Arizona. Um, you work your way up towards Prescott, then you're going to go to Sedona, then you go to Flagstaff. So you go through all these different terrain areas. How, like, how, how beautiful was it being out there, even though you're sort of pushing in the middle of a race? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that if I were to go to any one of these spots, by, like just drive there and get to run for an hour, I'd be like, wow, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever run. But seeing it all without a lot of sleep and you're kind of tired and crabby at times, it's just, you know, it's just, don't tell me how beautiful this is right now. <laughs> um, I mean, there's like the granite dells we ran through the sunrise of the, the, the second morning. So 24 plus hours in and looking back now and seeing pictures, I'm like, Oh my God, that is so beautiful. But in the moment I was really crabby. I remember cause you're just basically rock hopping through this really like this giant boulders up and down and up and down. And you're just like, it's hard to find the trail because it's just white dots painted on these rocks. And you're like, the first five minutes of this is just like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful to be here. This is beautiful. And then after an hour of it, mm-hmm. like, all right, I've seen enough of these darn boulders and this stupid lake. Like, get me out of here. Why am I here? Um, and then, you know, Sedona, like, wow, talk about one of the most beautiful places I've ever run. Um, but again, you're also, I was coming through there right in the heat of the day and I was miserably hot. And it's just like, oh, gosh, like, it's just really hard sometimes when you're really tired and uh, probably a little hungry to really appreciate how beautiful where you're running is it, more than just a glimpse at a time. Like I, I did stop a few times and just remind myself like I stopping for 10 seconds and just taking a quick little 360 walk around isn't going to kill my race. So I did take time to, to appreciate the beauty I would love to go back and, and see each individual section a little at a time because I think I would I would get a lot more um, a lot more out of it than I did focusing on oh my god I still have 120 miles to go or you know 100 miles to go or whatever I did during those most beautiful sections of the course. I'm into that, yeah. Uh, Pacers always saying, "Hey Don, isn't that a pretty view?" and trying to remind you of that. Take a few pictures. Yeah along the way it's a good yeah. thing yeah and you you want to hear nothing of it because especially when when i get crabby i'm like just don't don't like stop telling me positive things <laughs> right you get so in your head sometimes and i i feel like at this race i i was less crabby because of hungry and i was more crabby because i was just really exhausted and i was maybe hallucinating a little bit and just didn't want to hear positive things at times um but that's i mean that's the nature of you're living 90 hours consecutively over you know four days of running you you experience a lot you feel a lot of emotions it's it's a year's worth of memories crammed into four days so it's 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 normal to have those emotional highs and lows yeah i understand (laughs) all too well uh we're gonna get to sleep in a minute because that is an interesting part of the dynamic of this race but one of the things that probably just again to make this somewhat both visual and experiential for everyone listening is that for as many people as in the race, most of the time you're out there by yourself. Like I know with your pacer, but it's not like there are these groups of people and big long conversations. It, it strings out a lot. And, and so in effect, this 250 miles is rather solitary 
Yeah, after I, to that point, I was actually surprised by how together it was for the first 75, 80 miles, okay. something like that. I was uh, probably even less than that. Maybe the first 70 miles, I was with a pretty good group. And we weren't always with each other, but it was either, hey, they're 150 yards ahead of me, or they slowed up, or I had to go to the bathroom and I passed them. And you're just, even though you might not be running with people, you're aware. And I tried to run with people as much as possible. I spent a lot of the first 100 miles with Kevin Goldberg. Um, I guess maybe less than that, but um, him and I chatted a lot. I, I chatted with a lot of the people from the start. And then, yeah, after that, once you get your pacer, it does kind of um, uh, thin out a little bit as far as the crowd. You're, you're still aware of kind of who's around you. You might see them at an aid station here and there, but you're not you're not running with people anymore. Um, you're not teaming up. It's just once in a while you see some people. I know I I saw Sally McRae from basically Sedona to the finish in and out of aid stations um, pretty much the entire race. She was she was either right ahead of me or right behind me and even though you're not running with her, you're aware that that her and her crew are, are always pretty overlapped with where we are. So yeah, it was very, you know, kind of lonely, even though you have your pacer, it's just you and this one other person kind of on a walk in the woods for a really long time. Um, especially at night where it's, you can't really see anything. It's just you and one other person uh, kind of by yourself every once in a while, you might pass somebody or somebody might come up on you and you, you intentionally walk with them for five minutes maybe, and then you go back to your own paces. Uh, it's just a nice little pick me up to say hi to somebody and let them go um, or, or you pull ahead. So it's, it's, I mean, it's 250 miles, right? And yeah. it's, I, the, the first finisher was 69 hours or 70 hours and the last finisher was 120 hours. So think about, think about how many miles apart that that can be uh, between the first and the last and then, you know, everybody in between. It's a lot. Yeah. So the, you go from aid station to aid station and you meet up with the crew, change pacers, sometimes the same pacer. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what it was like, you know, getting to aid stations and getting, you know, reset with food or deciding to, you know, do something else. Yeah. I think, so this is obvious. This was my first what I would call like super ultra distance race, uh, 200 or more miles. So it was, it was a different beast for me having really no urgency at an aid station. Um, like if I spend 10 or 15 minutes at an aid station, that's going to be worth it long-term in a 250 mile race. Um, even if I close my eyes for three or five minutes, um, I'm used to competing to win hundred mile races where, I rarely, I, I can't even think of the last race I really sat down that I was competing at. I, like, I mean, Leadville, I did sit down a little bit to, to change shoes, but um, that's a, you know, that's a whole nother story. But this race, it's, you're sitting down and you're actually benefiting from taking 15 minutes to eat real food. I've, I've really never done that in a race. Have a, have, had a black bean burger a couple of times. You're, you're, you're having a meal versus in out go. Um, and so, so that was kind of a, the first few aid stations, I wasn't super comfortable with it, to be totally honest. Even when we saw the crew, I was a little anxious of like, oh my God, I'm taking so long. And, um, as we got later, I got more uncomfortable, more comfortable and realized that, okay, relax, 
take some, take a moment, make sure I have the fuel I need, get a little extra calories in, um, you know, talk to people because it's going to be, you know, six, seven hours until you see this group of people again that have all these resources. So it's, it's, it's definitely a different beast in a 200 plus mile race, getting to see your crew because there is that time element that is it's, I don't want to say time isn't important in a 200 mile race, but there's actually a lot of benefits of taking 15 minutes that you can make up twice that in this next section. If you really are, are, are purposeful in your 15 minute break, um, get your time off your feet and, and really recover during that time. Yeah, that's good. You know, the, uh, you never know how long it's going to take in between. Cause sometimes you're going at one speed and other times you're going at another speed. Uh, also just for sharing, there's this spot tracker that all the athletes wear, which is a pretty cool satellite based tracking system that shows where people are. And it's a great safety system as well. If you got off track, you could get notified, you know, the yep. race command always knows where you are. I got um, a nice so- text from them. They're like, Don, stop. You're off course. Turn around. <laughs> Um, and we were only about a half mile off course. So they were, they were attentive to, to the, the spot trackers, which is really cool. I was so impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great for the crew because they'll know when you're coming. Otherwise it's hard to know. It's not always with cell coverage and people can keep track. And, and so, yeah, it makes for this sort of raw event to be a little more managed, a little more safe, which is great that everyone gets through safely and, you know, maybe a few scrapes here or there, but not too much. So, you know, before we end up like getting too far into this, let's talk about the idea of how to factor in sleep. So somewhere between three and four days of physical activity, um, you know, some people run across the country and they do it in 40, 50, 60, 70 days, but they're running and then sleeping. Right. And so they're putting a lot of strain on themselves or they're, you're doing, any, even an ocean, you know, row across the ocean, you're still sleeping at night. So these very long ultra endurance activities, there's still sleep because you can't go. I think the, the theory would say you can't go more than five days without sleeping before your system will shut off and you risk dying. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to sleep at some point. And it's this sort of battle of <clears throat> how soon do I sleep? How much do I sleep? How, you know, because really the interesting part, right, is in the beginning, you feel great. Like, why do I need to sleep? If I get a hundred mile race, I'm able to finish that. Um, And it's this sort of, you know, cascading, declining situation that's hard to see until it starts to happen. So let's talk strategy, how this evolved, what came to be. Yeah, I think that's the area that I learned the most at this race. And I, and I, understand now why if you look at the top 10 men pretty much all of them have pretty extensive 200 plus mile experience or backpacking experience or both that they're aware of the sleep element i and i was aware and i I think the the quantity of sleep that i got i i'm actually pretty comfortable with um I, i i slept I think an hour the first night, an hour the second night, and two hours or so the, the third night. Um, I'm good with that. The, the challenge that I faced was underestimating how dramatically I would slow down as soon as I got tired. And timing of the sleep was the challenge. And, and Joe, you, you saw this pacing me through the night. As soon as I started getting tired, I turned into a, a molasses walker. 
like just so slow. I did not want to move fast. I did not feel comfortable moving fast. And so it, it, it has me thinking about, okay, did I wait too long every night to sleep? Like, could I have gotten sleep each time a little earlier or better plan a 15 minute dirt nap to get me into the aid station? I think you know, looking at my timing and my pacing into some of those aid stations where I got tired, I could have taken a a 15 minute nap and it might've saved an hour and a half each section and then still get the same amount of sleep once you get to the aid station. But I think acknowledging, wow, I'm really sleepy right now and I'm tired. I can either just drag my butt through this like I did during Cocodona, or I could acknowledge it, lay down, try to refresh my brain. And then that next five miles is going to take so much less time than it would if I just tried to, to zombie walk through it. And so that's, that's kind of my main takeaway is considering the timing of my sleep, maybe prioritizing it a little sooner, knowing now how slow I get when I do get tired. And I just, I do not like the, the feeling of being tired. I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. And so I think my my instinct is just to, to go into that protect slow walk mode. And I've been doing a lot of reflecting on that is, is just how do I overcome that if and when I do another 200 plus mile race is, is just be willing to take a nap that'll get me to my longer nap. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, well, that there's probably hard science that we could look at as it relates to where one needs to sleep and how long one can go without sleep. But the interesting part is that when you mess it up, it makes you go for a longer period of time because you've slowed down, which means you then need more sleep because you have to make up for the fact that you slowed down because you're not getting finished as soon. So if, you know, for the people who do finish sooner, the issue is less for the people who go longer. The issue becomes more exaggerated and it does. And, and, you know, the other thing, of course, being out there with you, uh, there's a lot of yo-yoing going on in these races. Someone passes whom the one passes the other one, you know, you think they're going fast and then they collapse and it's hard to reconcile that because you don't really know how someone's managed the exhaustion part of the race. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you do have to remind yourself, like if, if you're racing and I, and I got to the point where I was comfortable kind of not racing, right? Like I was, this is my first 200 plus mile race. I'm there to finish this thing first and foremost. Yeah. It'd be nice to be competitive, but I, I knew pretty early that that wasn't, it, this is a learning opportunity and not a race. And so I, I was, when I was still thinking I could race, it's like, Oh, well, I've already gotten an hour of sleep and I don't think that guy has and stuff like that. And then you just kind of convince yourself that as soon as he takes a nap, I'm going to catch him. And it's like, you know what, who cares? It all it's, it's 250 miles. It's going to work itself out in the end. Um, I could probably run faster on five hours of sleep and still beat somebody that is running slow around three hours of sleep. And does that really matter? And it's just all of these things. And it all boils down to, everybody's different. You can read as much as you want about sleep strategies and pacing strategies at 250 mile races. And absolutely everybody is going to be different. Um, I was shocked. So Kevin Goldberg took a 90 minute nap at mile like 54 and he came flying through the granite Dells. He's like, I've never felt better. Um, Cause, and I remember thinking like, Holy crap, dude, you like, you're, 
barely a half a day into this thing and you're taking a 90 minute nap already. Mm. And he ended up getting fourth, I think like he crushed it. <laughs> um, and like that was his, you know, he, he's like, I was, I wanted to bank some sleep early. I, I wasn't feeling super good. So I just wanted to kind of reset the system and he comes back and absolutely dominated that race. Mm. Um, and like, that was his strategy. And, and he, he, and I ran a lot with him and his strategy was usually, I don't sleep in races until I feel like I need to, or if I need a, a change. And all of a sudden I hear he's napping at mile 54, like, dang, like that is early. And I mean, it worked for him. So it's yeah, the learning process is you can have a plan, but be willing to throw your plan out the window based on how your body's feeling. For sure. So you know, a bunch of us were out there with you, saw the highs and the lows and some of the parts that were very frustrating. How much of the frustrating parts do you remember or they sort of blur together? Um, they all blur together. The general frustration was how poorly the course was marked, to be totally honest. I was very frustrated that, and, and you know, I, I would love to have a conversation with, with Jamil and Steve and, you know, I've, I've race directed long events and I have thoughts and plans, but look at that, Joe, you and I walked through a big cow pasture. They put little lawn flags in the cow pasture with the grass is three foot high and the flags are a foot high. How the heck are we supposed to see these flags? Um, so I think a lot of the, the lingering frustration comes from how poorly they, they really marked and you come up on, you would come up on a minor intersection. It'd be marked like, very well there'd be a do not go this way sign up and then very clearly mark and then you'd come up a quarter mile later on a very major intersection with multiple trails going each way and it wasn't marked at all yeah and you're like what why and i and i get that all runners face the same course markings so i'm not acting like this is something unique to me but especially these guys and, and gals that are out there doing this solo for 250 miles. Yes. It's a requirement mm. to have a map and to have things. And, and luckily my watch would beep if we were the wrong way, but there was just a lot of stopping and looking at maps in areas that I felt that could have been prevented just by better course marking. And the first question on the, the athlete survey that came out after the race was how was the course marking? No. And so I, I wrote a, a very, I wasn't rude, but I was very to the point of how poorly the course was marked and how probably a better word is inconsistently the course was marked. Um, yeah. There was a lot of areas that were like, man, this is great. How well this is marked. And then some areas are like, where the heck are we and where do we need to go? So how about a couple of those um, difficult segments where, you know, like the one that you and I had where the trail was pretty darn rocky and we were going downhill pretty slowly, could go uphill faster. What is your recollection of that segment? Um, so that 16 miles into Jerome, um, I, I would honestly say those 16 miles uh, left more emotional, physical, and mental damage than any 16 miles I've ever run in a race. Um, I, 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 you saw me go through it, Joe. I was, mm-hmm. I was so over it at that point. Like it's just every time you think you can run, it just got rockier and rockier and those technical loose downhills just became impossible. And I was just 
crabby. I was probably low on calories or something. And it just lasted way, way longer than I expected. And um, so I, I, I threw some pity parties and had, had a lot of self-doubt going on at that section of like, what the hell am I doing? I'm not even halfway through this thing and I'm miserable. Like I'm not having fun. I, I live in an area, right. That is, that still has snow on the trails. So I haven't been able to do any technical downhill running. And that's one of those skills that you can get better at it just by doing it quite a bit. And I haven't done it in six months. So like here's this like the weakest part of my running. I thought this was going to be a downhill that I could get some time back on. And now I'm walking all of these downhills. And uh, gosh, I, yeah, I remember having a couple of good cries in that sections and just being like taking some emotional damage of like this, this just sucks. Um, it, it wasn't fun. I, I think I, that is, that is for me, that was for me the hardest 16 miles in the entire course. Um, I, I, without a doubt, it's just because the mental side of looking at it on paper, reading about it, it seemed like it was going to be runnable and then you get there and it wasn't runnable at all. Mm-hmm. It's hot. It was steep. It was potentially dangerous at points. And, um, yeah, I was, I was emotionally scarred on that section. And, um, yeah, I, I pull, I tried to pull out all the tricks, listen to some, uh, some music that, that means a lot to me. I, I tried to like, like talk to my wife for a second, Joe, you and I had some deep conversations there and like, I, I was just going through it, but 250 mile race, everybody goes through it at some point. Right. Yep. And, and you, I think one of the things you told me, um, I think I could be remembering this wrong, but you said like, you can't like those, those guys could be having the best section of their entire race and you could be having your worst. Um, cause I got passed a couple of times. I'm like, what the yeah. hell, why am I getting passed? And you're like, you cannot compare what could be the best section of that person's race to the absolute worst section of yours. And that, that really helped. And that perspective, I, I mean, really carried me through the next 125 miles from there. Yeah, it was hard. I just think, uh, you know, the this sort of life lesson and feedback systems is important. You know, I think we talked a little bit about this idea of futility being probably one of the the most sort of, um, you know, st- biggest parts of struggle for us as we go through life. Generally, if we feel there's futility, meaning that our efforts don't get us any kind of return, then we want to quit. And I think that section almost could have benefited from a couple of like, oh, you only have five miles to go kind of feeling to it. Uh, Or some feedback system could have helped because it was, we were sort of more deep in the woods than any other. And it felt like we were just going up and down and around and these, like it kept looking like we were getting somewhere and we weren't. So yeah, that was a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a section that really surprised me. Um, the only other section on the course that really surprised me and took it out of me emotionally was the, like the last part of the last eight miles where you're like, everybody's like, Oh, it's a downhill from, from Eldon and all this stuff. And then you're running on the road and all of a sudden you go off the road into this like off camber hillside. It's not really a trail. You're just running in and out of a lake bed and you think you're going downhill to the finish. And all of a sudden you're back wayfinding, can't find flags, can't see anything. Don't know where you're at for five miles like what the heck like like i 
I had the similar feeling in that section that mm. I had on, on our section, that 16 miles into Jerome of just like, what am I doing? Like, why, why is this this hard right now? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just the, the nature of it. You know, it's interesting right now, a week later and, you know, well, you know, one of the things Don, we use as our technique, you know, it's always going to be Monday and there's going to be a cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, any, uh, any recollection to that the Monday after and, you know, you start to get back into it and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is over. Yeah. It, it's hard to believe it's been a week. It feels like it's been, you know, both a day and, and a year since yep. that race. Um, there's just, I mean, think about even like a 5k or a marathon, you sit down and you take a couple of days to reflect on your race, the highs and lows and things like that. Now, like, this race took me 90 hours. Mm-hmm. There's just so much to reflect on, so much that I'm still processing from this. Um, so many stories that I'm hearing from the crew and uh, from people that were with me. So it's 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 going to take some time. It really is. I would say I'm physically recovered more than I'm emotionally recovered. And that's not to say I was like emotionally damaged or negative or I'm in a bad headspace. It's just emotionally, there's a lot to process and to, to go through and to really take in from that experience that I, I need to, to, to give space for mentally to, to, to work through. And I, I don't know what my future holds. I, I, I know I can do a lot better at 200 plus mile races. I, do not think that Cocodona is in my future again, mostly because of the timing of the race. Um, it's just so hard. We're living in Colorado, training for a, a very technical long race in May. It's just yeah. the nature of the beast that it's just not putting myself in, in the most competitive situation in a race that I want to be competitive at. So if and when I do another 200, I think it's going to be one of the destination races or whatever they, you know, Candace's mm-hmm. series is and yep. they're later in the year. Um, I think that would put myself in a better position to be more prepared for running on trail that long. Um, I've, I've done a lot of treadmill running the last six months. And let me tell you that that does not pay off come uh, 250 mile run on technical trails. Yeah. Yeah. Cause right. It's not like you're going into the seven minute mile for a long period of time here. You're the speed varies considerably. You know, you're going from maybe running a 10 minute pace to walking a 20 minute pace and back and forth on that. And there's a lot yep. of that. Yeah. My, my fastest mile mm. was 914, mm. <laughs> which, which was coming into crown King on that really nice downhill. Um, yeah. so yeah, my, my slowest mile and this included a nap was like two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll count moving time, probably 20, 25 minutes with yeah. some, <laughs> downs, but that's a good, a new record for Don, his slowest yeah. mile record. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I don't think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, not everyone who starts finishes this race, so it's a it's a pretty amazing testament. You know, not a lot of people could even contemplate it. People never drive 250 miles, all of that. Um, but, you know, you went in with a set of expectations. You know, like, how did it meet expectations for what you thought was going to happen? Um, It's funny, I... I... I did have expectations, but they were they were less than most people might think. I had I had expectations that if I had a great race, I could be competitive. Um, I 
didn't have what I would consider a great race and I wasn't competitive, but I learned enough that I know that I can go out. I, I, I feel like if I race that race and again, next year, I could take 15 hours off of my time just by better, you know, better planning my sleep and being a little bit more on top of my nutrition when I got tired. Um, which is a good feeling to know, like I made a ton of mistakes and I still did pretty darn well grand scheme of things. Um, you know, that race, I was talking to Jeff Garmeyer at the end and he finished top five and he's done it three times now. And he's like, Holy moly. He's like, when I said I, I finished in 90 hours, he's like, man, he's like, I know that might not seem great, but that's incredible for this race for your first time. There's just so much course knowledge that pays off and so much knowledge in your first 200 that you learn. And I mean, look at him and he's one of the most experienced multi-day guys in the world over trail and FKTs and, and 200s now. And, and his first time was 105 hours or something like that. And so, so that was good perspective to hear from him. And I have a ton of respect for Jeff and what he's accomplished in his life. And, and to hear that from him really reframed for me, what success looked like the first time. And, and, and so that was, I, I really appreciated him saying that is like, man, that's a really good time for your first time. And I was like, I just don't think I'm going to do another 200. And he's like, dude, like just walk that back and, and reconsider like process. It'll take some time process and then think about it again. So like I, my only expectations of Cocodona was to do whatever it took to get to the finish. And I did that. And I'm really, really damn proud of like what I pushed myself through. Um, I'm really proud of what my crew accomplished for me and was willing to do like that. That is my testament to this race is the people that I assembled around me and that were willing to give up days and nights of their lives to, to be a part of it. And so in my mind, Cocodona for me was nothing but a success. It's, it's something that I'm so proud of. And, uh, will forever be a part of me and I, I, everybody it sounded it's it always sounded cheesy but like the, the saying of you know a lot of people at Cocodona was like the person you are at the finish is not the person you were at the start and i'm getting emotional but that's that's totally true like you you learn so damn much about yourself going that far the highs and the lows and how you how you handle adversity and pain and uh, man, that the last 20 miles, poor Shad, I, my, the bottoms of my feet hurt so bad. Again, a testament of really only training mostly on treadmill for the last six months. And then going out on these super technical trails, the bottoms of my feet hurt so bad that all I could do was go from one rock to another rock and sit down every time. And that's what got me through the last 20 miles is because I, I was in so much pain. All I wanted to do was curl up and fall asleep. And, um, I, I fought through that. I didn't stop. And man, like you just learned so much about yourself when you put yourself in a situation that, you know, most people wouldn't be in or, or would quit instantly. So, um, Cocodona was successful for me. I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, and, uh, it'll, it'll ever, forever be a part of me. Well, <clears throat> you know, uh, yeah, congratulations, Don. I do think that there's a special club for anyone who's gone over 200 miles uh, you know, I don't know what, let's see, it was 2017. So it's six years ago, just about that I did it. And I can remember it as vividly as you remember one that went a week ago. Uh, and, and yeah, that is, it's something that because it pushes our system to a level and degree that it's hard to do in any other way. 
And, uh, and for that, you know, yeah, great job getting to the finish line, pushing through everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll leave it there. We're glad you're recovering well. Um, and, you know, we don't have to think about what's next. We'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> I already have it on the calendar, Joe. I know. I know. <laughs> we'll, now. <laughs> we'll, we'll just keep the Coca Donut story alive here. But yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Keep resting, recovering, going into the beautiful summertime coming up here soon. <clears throat> Let's just uh, enjoy what we did and got to do. And congrats again. Yeah. Well, thank you to you for, for crewing and pacing. Thanks to my crew and my support system and anybody that sent me messages of encouragement before, during, or after the race. Uh, they all they all meant a lot. And uh, yeah, heck yeah. 